Well, for our podcast this week, you know, we stream these things uh, as well. We have a video version. They get uploaded to our uh, VMware Tanzu page. We're going we're gonna to try some, uh, we're going to push the limits of the audio-only format, uh, Ben. And that is, we're going to have you share your screen as we talk about the most exciting conference of the year, the Spring One Conference, which is December 6th to 8th. Now, we're going this this, to kind of move up the expertise level of podcasting where even though we'll have a visual we're going to not rely on it to, to communicate the vital information that the listeners need. But it's, it's sort of like, you know, uh, it's sort of like an extra pizza topping that, that you can add on optionally if, uh, if uh, that, that doesn't work. I'm going to abandon that metaphor and just move on. But it, it is an enhance, enhancement that we can have. So for, for those who don't know, this is on YouTube. So you'll find us on the VMware Tanzu YouTube channel. Uh, that's where it normally gets posted to, right, Kote? Exactly. If you just go to TanzuTalk.com and you'll find a link to the video. And, uh, and then after we go over a little bit of what's uh, going on at Spring One, we'll, uh, as, as we often do, hopefully every time, uh, we'll go over some interesting news items and uh, a little bit of stuff, the, the fun news and trend stuff uh, that's, that's happening out there. But before that, so we do have uh, coming up this December in San Francisco, you know, I, I don't know how many years we've been doing the Spring One Conference, but many. Uh, and, uh, you know, as, as I, I like to say, it's got your developer stuff, your operations things, and then also your... Um, I don't know, managerial enterprise architect executive stuff, like tales of people uh, reprogramming their business and, and how they're doing that sort of work. And uh, this year, I, I think things have uh, been going pretty well as far as the planning. Uh, you know, just to get it out of the way, I have a talk on, on, on a new topic uh, that I, I've been, fini we finally published this. I should put a link to it. Because I think there's a way at the moment uh, where you can download this PDF uh, called The Legacy Trap that my uh, co-author Mark Zartner and I worked on. And I don't think you even have to give us your email address. It's gate ungated, as people say. I think maybe there is a, a support ticket somewhere to put a gate up. But until that ticket is in effect, you can uh, get it uh, for free. Which, you know, it is nice, but it's also cool to get like credit for, uh, for uh, lead ginning and things like that. But whatever, we have a talk uh, that basically is just our overview of, of the legacy trap thing. And, and the premise of that, that, that talk is basically like, here's the methodology that people in, in, um, in, uh, in Tanzu Labs and other people have come up with, I don't know, maybe over the past at least five years to kind of sort out like what you should modernize, how to pick things out to modernize. And then even if you're going into re-architecting and rewriting some kind of like day or so long processes to go through to kind of get a handle on how would we break up this application and uh, kind of start to uh, actually modernize it, right? As, as opposed to like, I think maybe the classic method of modernization, which is like, hey, developers, you should go move this to a new platform. And, you know, not really having a lot of strategic input into it. So that will be fun to give with Mark. And, you know, I also don't know if I've ever seen Mark in person, which would be delightful to, to see. However, that is just one talk out of many, many uh, talks that we have. How to Escape the Legacy Track, a proven strategy for application modernization. I'll let the listeners uh, who aren't watching the stream uh, play a little game. Leave us a comment and tell us where you think the colon is in that sentence. Uh, and that'll be a good a good grammar check. 
but what, what's the, uh, you know, what's the structure of the conference that we have here, Ben? I gave an idea of kind of like three broad topics, but how are we, uh, how are we corralling all these, these talks into kind of like tracks and things like that? What are the, the themes? Well, I think if you're you're going to talk about the structure, it's important to talk about the structure of the whole thing. So the very first thing that happens, day zero, if you like, is the kind of workshop day. So there's a lot of workshops on that day. We'll come back to that in a second. And then uh, on the actual um, schedule itself, if you have a look uh, at the breakout session, so you click on uh, schedule uh, up at the top here, and then you click on uh, breakout sessions for Wednesday, December the 7th, then you can see all the uh, breakouts. And there are uh, one, two, three, four, six tracks, seven tracks. Biggest deal, I think, is the fact that the beginner-friendly spring track has returned, and will I think it? I think it's really popular, and I love it because it's the place that I go to first to find out about how to get started with all the new stuff that they're adding into spring. So you know, if they add a new thing around, I don't know, observability or metrics or whatever there's usually some sort of talk there that you'll find in a beginner-friendly track that will give you all the sort of tips that you need to just get up and running and get started. So that's my favorite track by far. And this year, I know it's bigger than ever. So there's a a whole bunch of stuff in that particular track. And and I guess guess it's worth, I, for whatever reason, I guess I'm always trying to uh, generalize and widen uh, the, the Spring One Conference. But like, you know, as is in the name right there, there's a whole lot about the spring framework, <laughs> right? So like, I think, you know, if, if, if you're doing like Java development, and I think especially like, I, I was talking with someone yesterday about this. I don't know what people call enterprise Java development anymore, but you know, Java development for business things. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it, it's uh, I, it seems like a huge amount of what goes on at spring one is, is catered for, uh, for those types of developers who just want to, you know, not just, but want to keep up with what's going on in spring and the Java world and practices. It's a, a really good developer conference in, in that aspect. Yes, I would say it's not tilted towards someone who wants to write Minecraft in Java. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's more tilted towards someone who wants to, you know, uh, probably works for a business of some kind, wants to solve business problems or has a, has a particular innovation or, or itch that they want to scratch and they want a framework that's going to help them do that with the least toil possible and yet be able to address the sort of broadest range possible so that's where mm. where springs really in its uh, in its sweet spot and then uh well there there's also like uh with with the history of the conference there's plenty of things about like you know as as you can see in the topics there'll be some talks about cloud foundry Plenty, plenty of talks about like operations things, like working, uh, you know, doing, you know, kind of platforms to have another to vague eyes and generalize the term for it, right? Whatever, whatever that stack of software you're building up, whether it's on top of a cloud foundry or a Kubernetes or whatever that your developers then then use to deploy and run their applications. Yeah, there's tons of stuff in here. I mean, you just click on any one of these and already I'm getting excited. So, for example, there's a there's a talk in the platform and stacks track uh, from Netflix about how Netflix really uses Java today. Now, Netflix has always been the poster child of things like 
uh, Spring Cloud, for example. So to hear the very latest about how they're still utilizing Spring and how they're using it today and how their use of it has changed, that's really exciting. That would definitely be one that I would probably put on my uh, bucket list uh, for, for Spring One. But then it's not all sort of like beginners and big tech companies either. There's also this intermediate and advanced spring track. So if you really already deep in the weeds on something, there's probably a talk in here that you'll find really interesting that will help you get even deeper and be able to converse with the the experts who write this stuff. I mean, let's not forget, the folks who are speaking are usually also the ones who are behind the scenes doing an mm. awful lot of the code that gets contributed to the open source Spring Framework. So um, there's loads of opportunities to meet folks uh, that you'll recognize from um, past uh, uh, advances in Spring, folks like uh, Sam Brannan there, Matt Rabel, and uh, Josh Long and others. Mm. They're all going to have talks at Spring One. So I, I, I think uh, there's a lot to commend about this. <laughs> there's tons to get excited about. So I, I over the years, I've, I've done... Uh, a lot more work than I did this year, kind of helping out with the, um, I don't know, like the agile leadership kind of case studies track. And, and uh, I've done a little bit of work now, an embarrassingly small amount for uh, supposed to have been involved more, I guess. However, like like I think, you know, in, in looking at in, in that track, kind of people telling the stories of what they've been doing. Uh, I think, you know, what, what we try to curate in that kind of track are, Again, in kind of like a more, you know, not, although the story of how someone modernized like the Minecraft monolith would probably be pretty interesting. You know, if, if you, there's, there's a lot of like, you know, you've got a, a extremely mature code base that has a huge user base, like revenue they need to worry about and uh, changing things, you know, changing the engines while the plane is flying. There probably are a lot of opinions they have to sort through conflicting technology uses based on who they're owned by and what they might want to use. Like you've probably got everything. And then you've got customer data and things to worry about, not to mention like a bunch of kids doing stuff. So you've got to protect them. So that probably would be a fascinating enterprise use case that would bring in all the things that like a bank insurance company or military would care about. Maybe we'll yeah. try to recruit them for next year. However, when it comes to those things that they are like in the more the business world, uh, you know, like historically, We've had we've had stories, um, you know, there's over the years, we've had all sorts of stories from uh, like insurance companies, militaries, banks, manufacturers. Like I'm thinking I was rewatching some from uh, the Mercedes people from a couple of years ago about how they had we didn't by we people didn't use the term platform engineering back then. Instead, we would say platform as a product or just platform. But it goes over uh, at, at Mercedes, like how they came across the need to have a platform, kind of identifying why they needed to build a platform to support uh, at the time that like the Mercedes me application, the little app that uh, I don't know, is your cars app, there must be a name for that kind of app, all cars have apps now. Uh, but uh, how they needed that and kind of like the lessons learned and how they were supporting developers. This is all on top of, at the time, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, now Tanzu Application Service. But there are several talks like that where, you know, there's a, the structure that I like in these stories is basically like, 
our business needed to, our organization, I'll just say business, needed to do something. Uh, and the stack that we had and the way that we used that stack wasn't up for it. So we had to put a new stack in place and a new way of doing software in place. And it'd be great if I had examples prepared of the talks that we have uh, this year for that. But there are several in there that I'm looking forward to uh, having read over them. I, I think it's brilliant. I, I'm looking and flicking around as people can see if they're following us on YouTube, you know, and just having a look at a few uh, a few talks. But some of these titles are really good. Who should use Kubernetes? Yes, yeah, what a great talk title, right? Oh, uh, yes, uh, from Whitney on my team. Hopefully, she'll bring her giant lightboard and uh, and, and go over, uh, you know, lightboarding stuff. She's, so there's tons she's of stuff here. But also part of the schedule, like I said, is the workshops. The workshops, if you can get signed up for the workshops, which do have a limited number of places, but if you can get signed up for them, you are going to have a, a really good time. For example, Better Path to Production with Spring Boot. Instructors, Josh Long and Tiffany Jernigan. I mean, you can't get better instructions on that uh, from the right, from better people than uh, than those two on how to get to production with Spring Boot. So, so there's tons of stuff here. I know as well. Uh, my friend Adib has also got a, a, a session. Here we go. Increased de developer productivity with Spring and VMware Tanzu application platform. There's tons of really good workshops. So if you like you know, to actually learn something while you're at a conference, you know, deep dive, spend a few hours on something, get yourself signed up for a workshop. They're on the, they're on the day zero of the conference and you, you'll uh, really enjoy those, I think. So, hey, yeah. Ken, I, question for you. Go ahead. Yeah. Question, because I've looked too much at Spring One, despite the fact that I'm sure I should have. Is that all in person and virtual? I'm assuming everything is hybrid now. But I know in some conferences, things like workshops are in person only, that kind of thing. Is this all virtual? Can anyone do it? My the to the best of my knowledge, it's all in person. Okay, Be interesting. So that's pretty good because the hybrid thing, you know, in some scenarios like a learning scenario, it's been a bit hit and miss for the yeah. folks in the room, right? So you committed, you got to go, you got to go. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I have to. Say, I'd love to go back to in conferences to in person. Like you said, that that ability to focus for your week, your four days, five days, however long it is. And especially for things like workshops, which is, I think, why it flagged in my head of actually you're in a room, nothing else to worry about. Nobody's saying, hang on, do this, that, the other while you're at work still. You know, that'd be priceless. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, I was thinking about that. I mean, to, 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 to preview a little ahead, maybe like there's, uh, there, was th there was this platform engineering conference called PlatformCon. And I think it was all online. And so uh, I, I went to their videos and I was like, ah, I should just sit down and watch most of those videos. And then I thought like, man, that's going to be so hard to like force myself to like be in a conference mindset to uh to not do other work because i'm at work instead of at a conference but i don't know maybe, maybe maybe i can make it happen we'll 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 find out and uh yeah i mean back to spring one uh i mean like you're saying there's all sorts of uh great speakers people that we have it'll it'll be good i think i think uh as i get more of a view into like what we're doing on the main stage and things like that it'll be fun to uh to to talk about and preview that as 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 we go towards that i don't know sometimes people like to be all secretive about what's on the main stage like for whatever reason uh but we'll we'll, we'll see what's what's uh what's possible so you know if you're interested in that it's it's really uh you know we've got i think we have most of the sessions posted but not all of them if i remember and uh so if you go to springone.io and you click on schedule and then you click on breakout sessions 
you can uh, start looking through what those sessions are and those tracks and organized. And like Ben was saying, there's workshops to go through. And uh, in addition to the sessions, types of sessions we were talking about, a pretty good uh, infra, like educational event and also just kind of finding out what's going in the industry and the chance to like, you know, talk with people and hang out and get all that uh What's the word? Serendipitous? Is that right? The uh, unplanned for good things that happen? I think yep. that's... that's uh, otherwise, it would be called... What would be the opposite of serendipitous? Unpl- accidents? I think uh, accidents are rarely serendipitous. I'll have to go look this up in my, as my dad would say, Funkin' Wagnall, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and see what it says. What was... When y'all were, uh, you know, in your teens, over there, over there uh, in, in the, uh, the United Kingdom, England, Britain... I don't want to make that mistake of mixing them all up, but over there on the islands, uh, like what, what was the, uh, did you have like the Rogers and the Funkin Wagner? What was like the jokey dictionary that everyone like used and referred to? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Doofa the only thing I remember. Doofa was like anything you wanted it to be. Okay. That's good. It tended to be a TV remote, but you know, it ended up being generic. Cause you know, cause you know, by design, American dictionaries are very anti-UK, <laughs> right? Like, I think, I think the, because isn't it, isn't, isn't Webster, like Webster and Franklin, their original thing was like, we need to have American English. And so that's, that's how they like came up with all these American word, you know, Americanized versions of English and things like that. So it would lead, it would make me assume that there must be like English, England English dictionaries that are still like, patriotic to the original language versus like us crazy americans who don't know how to spell things that have you know like we just like why don't we just use a z let's let's get some use out of that that character (laughs) i'm sure there is it's the oxford dictionary you would think that would still be the the epitome of the british one but i've no idea if it is or not Hmm. i mean none of us actually use the dictionary anymore right now it's whatever's built into word which is produced by an american company so Ah, Mine's yes. default to US, however many times I set it back to UK, somewhere, somewhere I've not configured it and it's still US. F- finally, finally, Franklin and Webster, victorious by accident. Yeah. <laughs> however, you can also just do the language, the, the, the variant settings. So maybe not. Maybe, maybe they, who knows? Well, maybe, maybe a listener knows and they can uh, write in and tell us or, or dissuade me of my cockamamie uh, retconning of dictionary history. <clears throat> which sounds thrilling. Anyhow, uh, yeah, but if you want to look into those sessions, you can go to springone.io. And uh, I think, you know, as we were going over, there's a lot in there, especially if you're a Java developer, but also if you're just in an organization looking to figure out how to get better at software, interested in all the uh, the container stuff out there, the cloud stuff. And, uh, you know, as you may know, when you register at springone.io, you can use the code COTE200 to get $200 off registration which you can then use to buy some burritos or or whatever you like. You know, if you're in San Francisco and you don't live there normally, especially if you're from out of the country, you want to when you go to San Francisco, you want to get what they call a mission burrito, which basically people would call a burrito nowadays. Uh, it's just one of those gigantic. If you were to make a fist out of both hands and stack them on top of each other, it's a little bit bigger than that. And uh, it's a gigantic, tasty burrito depending on what you like to eat. But you could take that $200 and boy, you could get a super fancy burrito for $200, $200 uh, depending on what the exchange rate is uh, at the time. Uh, but if you go to springone.io, you can register and use the code COTE200 uh, 
uh, to get $200 off. Now, there were many other conferences since uh, last time we talked. I think uh, it looks like HashiConf had a conference. The, uh, the EBPF uh, summit sessions were online. There was the Kong Summit. Like, uh, what, let, let's just pick, a, you know, what, what are your highlights from these conferences, Ed? What uh, did, did uh, so were they fun? Question, I guess. So the HashiCorp one, I thought was probably the sort of the most high profile one of those. Um, a bunch of product announcements, as you would expect, to kind of vault and boundary and console their various service mesh. And I mean, everyone knows Terraform, right? Um, the one thing probably, I mean, the one thing I always think with HashiCorp is they do a very good job of both engaging community, iterating all these products, and they are all kind of easy to get started with. It's something they seem to have focused on. Red Monk put out a blog about the conference, and that was one of their takeaways, was that simplicity and ease of use has always been sort of a key feature for them, and particularly with things like their Service Mesh product. Um, service Mesh has a history of being, or a reputation, should I say, for being complex. Um, and HashiCorp have definitely aimed at their sort of differentiation being simple to use. And obviously, they've now got HashiCorp's cloud platform, and they've a load of the new features were around use of that. So again, more SaaS-based, again, making things quicker and easier to use. I can't say any one of the sort of the product announcements really made me go, wow, that looks astounding, which is not, you know, not a do on them at all. It's just there was no thunder and lightning moments in any way. Um, but little by little, they're pulling together a nice cohesive set of products that all kind of work together. Um, so just have a look at the site. They've got a whole bunch of blog posts about all the various feature announcements in all the different products. I'd have a, a review of those myself. Um, the eBPF one, my only thing that struck me with that is I wanted to go and watch a load of it. Um, and the, the sessions are up and online, but and maybe it's just a time thing. They are literally day one is a five hour recording. Day two is a five hour recording. And I, you know, it's like you said. <laughs> oh, it wasn't spliced up. Yeah. And set aside two days, but I can't. So I kind of yes. want that. Here's the, the keynote. Here's this session. Here's that one. Oh, I can squeeze 40 minutes in, especially at one and a half times speed. Um, five hours was a no. Um, but I said that may be a expedite things, ticket up day one, and then carve it up into sessions later on. Um, I take it there's no chapter titles then? Because uh, that, that's so easy to do with YouTube when you post a video, like sticking your chapter titles on there. They could have done that at least, surely. <laughs> They might have, right? I, all I did, I went on and it said, here are the sessions. And they were they sort of badged up as day one, day two. And I went to day one and I saw the slider and it was, you know, five hours. And I was like, oh, no. And that was a, maybe there were breakouts to it and easier ways to index it or something. But I'd looked yeah. and I just thought, right, you know, I think it was Liz Rice doing the keynote. And I thought, well, she's always good to listen to. I'll go and listen to a keynote. And then she saw that and just thought, I, you know, maybe later just because it didn't feel like a bite-sized chunk that I could probably it's just literally thinking day one was five hours not you know what I can make 20 minutes to listen to that yes I'll do it um <laughs> it's, it's probably more of a reflection on me than them but there we go yeah you know the 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 various DevOps dazes DevOps dazen whatever <laughs> they uh they used to do it a lot more, but they, every now and then there's still some that will do that because what they do is obviously, well, not obviously, they stream the events, right? And then, and then, so those videos are actually like the saved streams that they have. And then some weeks later, after the conference organizers have like, you know, had a good nap, I think they, they do come back and uh, slice them up. But yeah, it, it is kind of funny when, yeah, that's, that's always a good situation where there's like a five hour block. And then as a speaker, I'm often like, ah, oh, of course. 
I want to show off some work that I did. And, you know, I know how to make a bookmark that starts you at like, you know, two hours and 42 minutes. But still, it's kind of like weird to be like, check out this talk in this five hour block of, of stuff. But that reminds me, Ben, since you didn't maybe for people who watch this care, did you since you're such a, a big star on YouTube, did you see that they have they have they have a new they have a new thing called a handle and there it's everyone's going to be able to get a handle. Right. Uh, but not everyone at once that some somehow they're going to notify you when you can register for your handle. So potentially I'll probably never be able to get this, but in, I could get, you know, at Cote as I have in most other services. And, you know, you can just say at and then you can refer to people instead of using like, you know, the channel ID that I have is uh, from my my original podcast, Drunken Retired, which is probably not great, as James Governor told me when he hired me at Red Monk to use in a professional capacity, despite the, <laughs> the greatness of, of the uh, the content. Mostly but, because you're neither. Yeah, well, that's that's true. We, that, when I when I made up that uh, that that domain name in college, the person I was talking with, like our joke was like. Those are two things to aspire to, and you can always have one of them. <laughs> and and so, like, it's 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 uh, you know half possible dreams uh, if you if you're looking uh, to achieve time. your dreams. Yes, yes. So these handles are going to be like the blue tick marks on Twitter, are they? Where you've got to have you know fifty thousand followers minimum to actually be a public person and qualify or something. Well, well, you you can anyone can get a handle once they tell you you can get it, and I think it's over the next two weeks they're rolling it out. It's not a verified thing, but it's just so that like you know. I mean, it's it's a little odd because they already have channel names you can set up. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a how new many, thing. How many handles per channel then, or, or do you not get handles per channel? Do you get one handle? Per, how does it work? I think I think it's one handle per channel. That's yeah. that's the distinction. Is this refers to your channel, not you? I I think. Well, it, whatever. That was our YouTube star corner for this yeah. episode. <laughs> YouTube tip of the day. <laughs> hey, but while we're talking about it, Kota, I do have a new video on YouTube right now. Uh, oh, yes. Titles, uh, deploy your Python apps to uh, safely to production. Uh, so go check it out. Oh, yeah. That, 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 would, that would be nice. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to look that up. Do you, think, do you think it's worth my time one day in the future, like learning Python, Ben? Is that something I should do? I think uh, I think you should learn the language that you find the most interesting because um, mm. you know it's like anything in life. If you if you if you if you have an interest in something, it doesn't feel like a chore. It feels it feels like a pleasure, right? So yeah, so yeah. I guess I guess I asked that inaccurately. Like 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 I I think the only reason nowadays I would invest time in learning a language is is if it was if if i could like use it often just for like quick utilitarian functions that i needed right and oh, i feel yeah. i feel like a lot of what i would be doing is like manipulating and doing tech stuff and like merging things around and like you know i guess i could go relearn perl but that doesn't seem like a thing one would do it seems like if you're like doing numbers and characters and simple stuff like that that python is what you would learn plus it's ubiquitous yeah, and everywhere yeah, you're dead right. Python's got a huge reputation as being a very sort of you know pliable language. You can you can wire together all sorts of things um, from video to you know artificial intelligence to machine learning to just doing a spreadsheet. You know whatever you, whatever it is that you want to do, it's one of those languages where you can probably do it, and it probably won't kill you to do it either, which is also nice. And then and then of course you can deploy it securely and safely 
absolutely to review. production uh, yes. <laughs> which, is, uh, which is the 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 content of my uh, my latest uh, video yeah so go check it out we'll put Excellent. it in the show notes well i think i think there's two more things uh i i, I wanted to go over before we wrap up one is that the uh, everyone's favorite the uh, state of DevOps report, the Google state of DevOps report or Accelerate is out recently. And uh, I, I, I talked about this on, on uh, we talked about it a little bit on my other podcast, Software Defined Talk last week, where I fully admitted, I haven't read it yet, but let's talk about it, uh, which, which is sort of like, and now I think I've read some of it. I've skimmed through it and I didn't realize it was 77 pages. And as someone who writes 70 to 80 page things, I'm not making fun of it. I just need to invest some time in uh, skimming through it. Uh, but, you know, it, it looks like there's a, there's a pretty deep focus on uh, security in there. And I think also, um, you know, what, what's interesting, what's one of the, the, the key things that's interesting about the DevOps report is trying to draw some sort of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm no statistician or however you say that, but trying to draw some sort of causation correlation between behaviors and the performance and success of the organizations who do them. And I think I think there's there's some interesting new ways of looking at that as far as uh, things people are doing. But but have have either of y'all had a chance to skim through it and draw anything interesting from it? I'm I'm sorry, I've not. No, I uh, I tell you what, I did do though, which relates to the last conversation. Ed talking about eBPF so much did make me go and do a little bit of research on what that's all about, and that did blow my mind. But no, I've not seen the DevOps one yet. Um, I, 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 I need to go and have a look at it. I'm sorry, I've not done my homework. I need to yes. go and look at that one. I feel much the same way. There was a lot out sort of in the last couple of weeks to, to try and <laughs> absorb, and that just becomes another one, and especially because there was a Sysdig one on security and this sort of security-focused one from Google, which is a bit more... As you say, go there. It's a bit more process, a bit more high level, maybe than mm. the Sysdig one. Um, but there's so much to sort of consume. And actually, for me, you know, the only thing when I read through them is it all still mixes into platform engineering, all this, trying to find what is actually new. Because I can look at the Sysdig one, and my takeaway after skimming it for five minutes was security firm finds that there are vulnerabilities in containers and everywhere. Well, I, I knew that before I even looked at the report, you know. Mm. Um, so there wasn't anything massively new in any of them. Um, the Google one, again, if I read it and thought about it for a while, I would probably end up with a bit of a takeaway of, ah, things have moved on a bit from where I thought they would be, right? Platform engineering is one of those things that has been around a bit amorphous for a while. In my head, at least, it's firming up a bit what it is. Um, and I suspect if I read the Google report, it would firm up in my head a few more concepts that it's sort of understand but don't necessarily refer to with the right terminology or something and indeed and then that's the that's 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 a great segue because that's the other thing i i was uh you know obviously over the past year there's been a lot of like platform engineering talk and and on sunday morning this past weekend to uh, give you an example of how thrilling my <laughs> personal time is spent i was just you know looking through things and and I, I I was realizing I and and I realized that you know I I kind of rethought about the fact that there was a platform con out there and there's all this platform engineering talk, and uh, you know over the past year or so, I think uh, that has really cemented itself as the new phrase for what we used to call whatever right like you know there's there's a continuing evolution of how do you do operations for the stack of stuff that you run your custom software on. And, uh, you know, we, we evolve that, that phrase every now and then, like, 
I think the team topologies people use the phrase platform as a uh, product. And several years ago, we would use that phrase to describe kind of like, uh, you know, when, when, when you get a, a platform as a service, a cloud foundry thing in place, how do you operate that and, and make it better for developers? But, but I'm, I feel like we're pretty close to essentially saying like, nope, the phrase you use now is platform engineering. I think, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's what it is. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of, I'm, I'm not quite done. I tried to make a video summarizing it in 60 seconds and then I watched it and I'm like, no, that's no good. So I still need to do like some learning how to like be concise about it as I'm proving right now. Uh, but, uh, I, I think, uh, it's, it's a good sort of, uh, it's good to have everyone's attention on how do we treat customers or developers as customers and go beyond just like providing tools for them and think about how we incorporate that in, into the platform, which I think, I think is like, maybe there is my theory is that there's renewed interest in this now because, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, quote unquote, everyone wants to, to have their platform on Kubernetes now, which sort of opens up again, the problem of like, ah, but you're going to need to add a lot to that to make it usable for developers. And that's what your platform engineering team does. So it's kind of, uh, brought this vacuum in there. And uh, so, you know, uh, uh, Charity Majors has a, a, a lengthy piece that actually has a table going over like different mm-hmm. activities and things that, that's fun to look at. That's a good summary of it. And uh, there's also um, our old friend uh, Paula uh, has, has a talk out. You know, she, she's one of the, the people that, uh, I don't know, I first started learning about this stuff in, in 2017 or 2018. Uh, so she has an updated talk uh, kind of going over the idea of, of platform engineering and, and, and uh, platform as a product, which is great. Uh, so there's been a lot of good thought leadership and defining there that I think will be interesting to look at. Maybe in future episodes, I'll have a uh, more concise way of looking at it. Plus, all of this talk about pre-recorded conferences is making me think, just as a new policy, maybe we can work this into the, the Accelerate State of DevOps Report 2023, that what executives should focus on is setting aside a day or two called uh, conference day, where like you you give people the, the freedom to actually sit down and watch a bunch of YouTube videos for a conference. And the reasoning would be like, you need to have continuing education and training. And normally you would send people to con- conferences, but this is very expensive. Whereas if you could just give them two days to just watch a bunch of conference stuff online, maybe they won't get the full benefit. But, you know, they'll they'll actually do it, as we have demonstrated many times. You're just like, I don't know. I don't have time for that. I got other stuff to do. But you could have the bosses actually force doing it. And they could check in. You could have like a break, kind of like the, the you know, the, the conference uh, thing will have like a 30-minute break. And maybe you have a 30-minute thing and the boss will like, you know, come online and be like, hey, look, I'm watching conference stuff too, eating crappy snacks that we sent to people, like the little granola bars and things like that. Just like a real conference, not at Spring One though, which is going to have great snacks, uh, not just uh, granola bars and things like that. I hope, but uh, I don't know. Do, do y'all have anything else you want to uh, empty from the uh, the out basket before we wrap up here? Well, you mentioned uh, Kubernetes there uh, just a moment ago, and I do remember one short report that came across my desk this week which was from uh, Wang Clouds. They'd done a survey of um, the cost associated with cloud. Mm. And there were some very interesting findings in there. For example, that yes, a lot of people want to move to Kubernetes, but some of them find that that can get quite expensive. 
for unexpected reasons, not because Kubernetes is expensive. It's not, you know, it's free as in free beer or whatever, but actually running it and then the proliferation of it that can sometimes happen if you're sort of slightly out of control with, with how your developers get um, uh, clusters, for example, or if you don't have a good handle on all the observability and metrics needed to run that, as well as being able to translate what you see into how much it will cost to run it in the cloud, then uh, you know some folks are getting burned apparently, and and that so that was a very, really interesting report, and it sort of you know last week we had a guest we had Nick on didn't we talking about Tanzu Application Service, and um, you know that's one of the alternative ideas is well maybe I don't need Kubernetes, maybe it's not right for me, maybe these. This spring one talk we were talking about earlier might uh, have some insights there about when to use Kubernetes and when not to use it. But also at the same time, there was a ton of good stuff in there about, do you actually know what your costs are right now for running anything in the cloud in any way, whether it's Kubernetes or not? Do you actually know what it costs? Can you predict how much it's going to cost? And do you have a good handle on that? Because in all likelihood with the kind of, economic outlook at the moment you know budgets are going to be, be a bit squeezed so maybe it's a good time to figure out if you have a handle on that or not yeah yeah you you want to you want to remove uh costs as something that's going to be annoying for you <laughs> not 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 making it totally free that would be cool too but just in the sense of like all of a sudden we've discovered this thing that we didn't know about that's now preventing us from going forward boy that was really vaguely put but like i think i think uh you know because like in in the uh i don't know five or six years ago in kind of like the first one of the first waves of anti-public cloud fud it was just like costs right like you know having to pay for something but i think everyone understands nowadays that like public cloud or any cloud isn't free (laughs) and yeah and then and then what becomes important is like so now that we've accepted that, like, how do you make sure you're not wasting money, right? Like, there's there's no need to like burn money to be awesome. You can uh, you can control it and understand it and and get a hold of things, which which I think is um, I don't know isn't always a focus early on in uh, new technologies emerging. It's it's only when they um, get mainstream use that it's something wise to pay attention to. Yeah, and when you're a customer of three clouds, plus you've still got your data center, it's kind of like, okay, this is this is kind of getting a bit difficult to track. Like, I've got these credit card bills coming in, but do I know what they're exactly for? Have I got a load of stuff I'm not using? So if you don't have a handle on it, it can really bite you, I think. That's right. Well, hopefully... You, the dear listeners, have gotten a handle on a little bit of the things going on in the uh, the old cloud native, whatever we call this world nowadays. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, we'll have links to things we talked about. Probably not links to things we didn't talk about. We'll see. But if you go to tanzutalk.com, you can find the show notes for this episode and uh, and find those links. Look at those surveys and other stuff like that. And also, of course, just as a reminder, we have Spring 1 coming up, December 6th and 8th. I think if you've listened this far, you have an idea of what's going on there. But uh, you should you should sign up for it, look at the sessions, check it out, and uh, you know I'll just put the code you can use to get two hundred dollars off in the show notes if if you if you really need it. Why go over it again? Is that is that that's that's not a good practice that's for right. advertising anything, right? To repeat yourself, they say just say it once if if I remember. 
so with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.